مارچ ہے اور یہ دن آفٹر ریسرچنگ دت شاہ تاروز اینڈ سور الفاتحہ حضرت خلیفت مسیح ففتھ ید اللہ تعالیٰ بن سرزیز اسٹیٹڈ ٹمورو ول بی ٹوینٹی تھرڈ آف مارچ اینڈ دس ڈے از کمیمریٹڈ ان دا کمیونٹی ایز دا پرومس مسایا ڈے On this day, a pronouncement was made regarding that Messiah and Mahdi, who in accordance with the prophecy made by the Holy Prophet ﷺ, was to appear in the latter days to convey and spread the true teachings of Islam to the world, to unite all the Muslims under one banner, and to bring the followers of all religions under the subservience of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani declared that he was that promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi whose advent was prophesied by the Holy Prophet ﷺ and thus he started taking bayt, i.e. the Pledge of Initiation. I will now present some sayings of the Promised Messiah in which he has explained about the need for the advent of the Promised Messiah, the prevailing condition of the age, his claim and the various signs related to it. He states in one of his couplets, 
This was indeed the appointed time for none other than the Messiah. Had I not been appointed, someone else would surely have appeared. Thus, the need of the time yearned for an individual to come and take control of the wavering ship of Islam. Unfortunately, however, the majority of the Muslim scholars who were waiting eagerly for a Messiah to appear opposed him after he made his claim. They conjured false tales and invented stories about him in order to deter the general population of the Muslims. Hmm. They incited the general population against him and his community to the extent that they even issued edicts to kill. Even today, terrifying examples of oppression and barbarity against Ahmadis manifest themselves in some countries and places in the form of murder or killings. All this is carried out in the name of Islam, whereas those who truly understand the essence of Islam can never think of carrying out such things, and such atrocities would never be committed by them. Nonetheless, we can understand about the circumstances surrounding the advent of the promised Messiah. Explaining the reason why there was a need for the advent of the promised Messiah and why the Messiah is specially linked to this era. He did not state that this was owing to his own character. Rather, he stated that it was the need of the time and the conditions demanded that someone should appear. The promised Messiah Islam states, The Holy Qur'an clearly and markedly draws a parallel between the successorship of both the Israelite and Ishmaelite dispensations. This is apparent from the following verse. وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ The Promised Messiah Islam says, the last successor of the Israelite dispensation, who appeared in the 14th century after Moses, on whom be peace, was the Messiah of Nazareth. In parallel to this, it was necessary for the Messiah of this Ummah to also appear at the head of the 14th century. Additionally, those blessed with visions have declared this century to be one in which the Messiah would appear. The Promised Messiah Islam further says, Shah Waliullah Rahmahullah and others have from among the Ahl Hadith all agree that all minor signs, Alamat Sugra, and to some extent the major signs, Alamat Kubra, have been fulfilled. However, they have erred somewhat in this respect. All of the signs have been fulfilled. It is not the case that only some of the signs have been fulfilled, rather all the signs for the Messiah have been fulfilled.
the Promised Messiah then says, The major sign or hallmark of the one who is to appear can be found in Bukhari as follows. In other words, the era in which the Messiah shall descend is marked by the dominance of Christianity and prevalent worship of the cross. Is this not such a time? Has there been such a time for the era of Adam until now when such harm was ever inflicted upon Islam by the Christian priests? Division has plagued every country. There is no Muslim family who has not lost a member or so to their hands. Hence the era of he who was to come is one in which worship of the cross would be dominant. What could be more dominant than what we see now? Vicious attacks like those of ravenous beasts have been made against Islam. These words are enough to answer the allegation that the promised Messiah Islam was planted by the British government. From these words it can be ascertained whether the promised Messiah was working on orders of the British government or whether he was appointed by God Almighty to defend Islam and prove its superiority. The Promised Messiah Islam continues, Is there a single group that has not made the most savage of remarks against the noble messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and hurled abuse at him? If now is not the time for the advent of the awaited one, the earliest that he can appear now is after a hundred years. For a divinely appointed reformer, i.e. Mujaddid, must always appear at the head of the century. Now does Islam possess enough strength to combat the ever-increasing dominance of the Christian priests for another century? This ascendancy has reached its pinnacle, and the one who was to appear has come. Now he shall destroy the Antichrist with clinching argumentation. For it is recorded in the Hadith that nations will be overturned, not people themselves or the individuals that comprise these nations. And so has it occurred. That is, the purpose of the Islamic Messiah was to prove the superiority of the teachings of Islam over all other religions through arguments and proofs. Similarly, he was going to present the teachings of Islam in order to prove its superiority over all religions and nations. The thousands of non-Muslims who join the Ahmadiyya Jamaat every year do so on the basis of the arguments and proofs presented by the Promised Messiah. Then, in relation to the circumstances of the time, and the need of the promised Messiah, he further says, If the land is uncultivable, rain is of no benefit. In fact, it is damaging and harmful. If the soil of the land is not good or is barren or firm, then it is futile. And so, heavenly light has descended and it is illumining the hearts of the people. Prepare yourself to accept it and benefit from it, i.e. prepare your hearts.
so that in the likeness of barren land that gains no benefit from rainfall, you too do not walk in darkness and stumble, and consequently perish falling into a dark abyss despite the presence of light. It should not be the case that you also stumble, i.e. despite the presence of light, one falls in a pit of darkness. The Promised Messiah further says, Allah the Exalted is more merciful than a compassionate mother. He does not wish for his creation to be wasted. He reveals to you the paths of guidance and light. But in order to tread these paths, you must utilize your reason and purify your souls. Just as planting does not occur until the soil is ploughed to prepare it, so too pure reason cannot descend from heaven until souls are purified through strenuous effort and rigorous self-discipline. In this age, God has shown immense grace and as He is jealous for His religion and His prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, He has sent a man who speaks to you now so that He may invite you towards this light. If the present era had not been plagued by such corruption and disorder and efforts to expunge religion had not been undertaken, then there would be no issue whatsoever. However, at present you can observe from east to west that nations are preoccupied in removing all traces of Islam. All nations are involved and preoccupied in this effort. This continues even until today. The Prophet Islam then says, I remember, and I have stated this in my book Brahina Ahmadiyya as well, that 60 million books against Islam have been written and compiled and printed already. This was during the time of the Promised Messiah approximately 125 years ago, rather almost 150 years ago. He further says, It is strange that the Muslim population in India is 60 million, and a number of books written against Islam are also equivalent in number. At the time, the Muslim population was some 60 million, but now it is approximately 500 or 600 million, or perhaps even more than this. The Promised Messiah then says, If we disregard the number of books that have been added to this figure, even still our opponents have handed one book to each and every Muslim in India. They had written books in opposition which were equal to the Muslim population. But now through various media outlets, social media, internet and other means, the matter has increased manyfold. New techniques have been invented and are used. The Promised Messiah Islam says that the opponents have printed books and have distributed them to every Muslim. He further writes, If the jealousy of Allah the Exalted had not surged forth, and were it not for His true promise of Inna lahul hafizun, know for certain that today Islam would have been wiped off the face of the earth and all traces of it would have been effaced. But no, this can never happen. The hidden hand of God is protecting it. What disappoints and pains me is that the Muslims do not care for Islam even to the extent that one cares for their marital relations. They do not worry about Islam as they worry when they are making wedding arrangements. 
I have often had the opportunity to read that even Christian women, on death, bequeathed hundreds of thousands of rupees for the propagation and spread of the Christian faith. In those days, people were more concerned for their faith, especially Christians and Christian women. And as far as devoting their lives for the dissemination of Christianity is concerned, this is something we observe daily. In narrating the circumstances of those times, the Prophet Islam says, Thousands of lady missionaries go from home to home and street to street and strip the people of their faith in any way possible. I have yet to see a single Muslim who has bequeathed even 50 rupees on their deathbed for the propagation of Islam. In contrast, at marriages and for worldly customs, they spend extravagantly. This extravagance is present even to this day. Those who apparently spend in the way of Islam, when compared to their worldly expenditures, there is no comparison at all. The Promised Messiah Islam then says, and even incur debt to squander their wealth relentlessly. But when it comes to Islam, they have nothing. Alas, what a pity! Could the state of Muslims be any more deplorable? Even nowadays, this is the very state of the Muslims. Even though there have been some improvements in certain areas, as I have mentioned, even then, People do not spend a tenth for religion in comparison to what they spend in fulfilling worldly pursuits. These were the circumstances of the time when the promised Messiah Islam made his claim. As I have mentioned, if a faction among the Muslims have now started to pay attention towards Islam, it is limited to the fact that they merely remain attached to it. There have been improvements in this matter that people wish to remain firmly established upon Islam. They have also populated mosques to a certain extent. However, they are not making any efforts to spread the teachings of Islam. Even if some superficial efforts are made, they are made in relation to extremism and that they have to spread Islam forcefully. Subsequently, various groups have been formed. Other than that, efforts are being made to oppose the promised Messiah Islam and his community. Thus, it should always be remembered that if Islam is to spread across the world today, it will spread through this very appointed and chosen one of Allah the Exalted. This is the decree of Allah the Exalted. Allah the Exalted and his Messenger وسلم, also foretold some signs for the advent of the promised Messiah. He would not make a claim without any signs. Hence, mentioning this fact, the Promised Messiah says, Another sign in support of the Awaited One is that in His era, during the month of Ramadan, the solar and lunar eclipse will occur. Those who ridicule divine signs in fact mock God Himself. For the solar and lunar eclipse to take place after the claim of the Awaited One is something that no one could possibly forge or fabricate. One cannot say that this was conjured nor was it a coincidence or deceit. The Promised Messiah says, Before this, no such solar or lunar eclipse has taken place. This was a sign by which Allah the Exalted was to proclaim the arrival of the Awaited One throughout the entire world. And so upon witnessing the sign, the Arabs have also proclaimed its truth, as is their nature. Wherever our announcements could not reach to serve as public announcements, 
this solar and lunar eclipse announced the coming of the era of the awaited one. This was a sign of God completely free from human machination. No matter how strictly philosophical a person may be, they ought to reflect and contemplate that when the appointed sign has been fulfilled, it necessarily follows that the one in whose favour the sign was manifested must also be present. This was not a matter that could have been predetermined because it was stated that the sign would be manifested after a person who claimed to be the Mahdi had appeared. The noble messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also said that no such incident would have occurred from the time of Adam to this Mahdi. If anyone can historically show otherwise, I shall accept. The Promised Messiah further says, Another sign of the era was that the star Zusanin would emerge, i.e. the star of the years gone by. In other words, the star which emerged in the time or years of the Messiah of Nazareth. Now, even that star has appeared, which gave heavenly news of the coming of the Jewish Messiah. Similarly, we find in the Quran, وَإِذَا الْإِشَارُ أُرْتِلَتْ وَإِذَا الْبُحُوشُ حُشِرَتْ وَإِذَا الْبِحَارُ سُجِّرَتْ وَإِذَا النُّفُوسُ زُوِّجَتْ وَإِذَا الْمَعُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيِّ ذَنْبٍ قُتِلَتْ وَإِذَا الصُّحُفُ نُشِرَتْ These are all the prophecies contained in the Holy Quran that beasts would be gathered together, etc. There are various explanations of these. Zoos have been created. Knowledge has become accessible and spread across the world. Some nations have attacked the native people and destroyed them. It also mentions that oceans will be merged together. It also states that people will be joined together. Communication has now become extremely easy and a person is able to communicate across the world within seconds. Furthermore, women who were treated cruelly at the time, whose rights were suppressed and who used to be killed, will ask that on what grounds are we being killed. Books will be spread far and wide, the press and media. All of these aspects prove the fact that this is the era of the promised Messiah, and prophecies in relation to this are found in the Holy Quran. The Promised Messiah states, meaning in that era she-camels, which previously were the best means of transport and convenience, shall become useless. In other words, during the era the mode of transport will become so advanced that these earlier forms will be rendered useless. This alluded to the age of locomotives. This referred to the era of railways. Furthermore, in accordance with one of his prophecies, there is now a railway in operation between Medina and Mecca. At least the railway track has been laid out. The Promised Messiah says, Those who believe that these verses speak of the resurrection do not stop to reflect how a she-camel could remain pregnant at such a time. The word Ishar refers to pregnant she-camels. Then these verses state that the streams shall be made to flow forth in all directions and books shall be published abundantly. Hence, all of these signs relate to the era under discussion. Presenting further evidence in relation to where the Promised Messiah was to be appointed, the Promised Messiah states, 
As for the place of the promised Messiah's advent, it ought to be remembered that the emergence of the Antichrist has been foretold to take place from the East, and this refers to our country. The author of Hijajul Kirama writes that the disorder of the Antichrist is manifesting itself in India, and it is obvious that the Messiah must also appear in the same place that the Antichrist emerges. Then it is narrated that the Messiah will appear in the village of Qada, which is short for Qadian. It is possible that in Yemen a village by this name exists, but one ought to remember that Yemen is not to the east of Hijaz, rather it is to the south. The Prophet Islam further writes, Furthermore, the name given to me by divine destiny and decree is also a subtle indication to this very fact. According to Abjad numerals, the numerical value of the letters in Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani equal 1300 exactly. In other words, the Imam whose name this is was to come at the start of the 14th century. The Promise of Islam continues by saying, Calamities were also to serve as a sign, i.e. that there would be various sorts of calamities and trials during the time of the Messiah. The Promise of Islam then says, Heavenly calamities took on the form of famine, plague and cholera. The plague is an affliction so vicious that it has even shaken the government. It lasted for five or six years and had devastating consequences. And if it continues to grow, it shall devastate the entire country. As for earthly calamities, there are wars and earthquakes which have destroyed the land. As for wars, they are continuing even to this day. It is necessary for a person commissioned by Allah to manifest heavenly signs in support of their truth as well. He further writes, Was the sign of Lekram not a magnificent sign? This contest ensued for many years with the term outlined in advance. This encounter went on for five years without fail. Both parties published announcements and the matter gained publicity. It became common knowledge that Lekram was in a contest with the promised Messiah It gained unmatched publicity. Then the events unfolded exactly as prophesied. Is there any other example of such an occurrence? Similarly, well before the Conference of Great Religions, Dharam Mahotso, I announced many days in advance that Allah the Almighty had informed me that my essay would be superior to all others. Those who witnessed this grand and awe-inspiring conference can reflect and understand for themselves that to foretell one's triumph over all others in a conference of such stature could not have been a mere conjecture or guesswork. Ultimately, the prophecy was fulfilled. I will read out a statement from a newspaper at the time regarding this. General Gohar Asfi of Calcutta writes, During this convention, if the article of Hazrat Mirza Sahib would not have been presented, Muslims would have suffered humiliation and disgrace at the hands of the other faiths. However, the glorious hand of God the Exalted protected the holy faith of Islam from falling. As a matter of fact, due to this article, it was granted such a victory that besides those that were already in support thereof, even the opponents were naturally inclined to proclaim that this article is superior to all others. 
Now the person to write this is not an Ahmadi. However, he was left with no choice and in support is even giving reference to other non-Ahmadis. Furthermore, countless other newspapers have written the same. Then presenting further evidence of his being divinely commissioned, he further states, In short, even at this time, there are many proofs of my being commissioned from God. Firstly, there is internal evidence. Secondly, there are external proofs. Thirdly, there is a saying of the Prophet Muhammad about the arrival of the one who would rejuvenate faith at the turn of every century. Fourthly, there is a divine promise of preserving the Qur'an in the words, Surely we have sent down the Qur'an, and it is indeed we who shall safeguard it. The fifth proof, which is an outstanding sign, is the divine promise in Surah Nur, the promise of divine successorship. As has been mentioned before as well, God Almighty states, وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَيَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ كَمَا اسْتَخْلَفَ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ According to this promise of divine successorship, the caliphs of the dispensation of Muhammad shall be like the caliphs of the dispensations before them. Similarly, the Holy Quran has also mentioned the Holy Prophet Muhammad in the likeness of Moses, as it states, Inna arsalna ilaykum rasula, shahidan alaykum, kama arsalna ila fir'auna rasula. And the Holy Prophet Muhammad is like unto Moses according to the prophecy of Deuteronomy as well, a prophecy of the Bible. Hence, just as the words like unto have been used in this parallel, similarly the words like have been used in the promise of Surah An-Nur. It becomes clear from this that there is a perfect similitude and likeness between the Mosaic dispensation and the dispensation of Muhammad. The system of Mosaic successorship came to a close with the advent of Jesus, who appeared in the 14th century after Moses. The running parallel between the two spiritual systems demands that a caliph resembling the qualities and powers of the first Messiah also be born in the 14th century who would come resembling him in spirit and essence. So even if God Almighty has not presented this and other evidences as proof, still this running parallel between the two spiritual systems naturally demanded that a Baruz of Jesus should also appear among the followers of Muhammad Otherwise it would prove to be a flaw and an imperfection in the perfect parallel between the two spiritual systems, God forbid. However, not only did God Almighty demonstrate and support the truth of this parallel, but he demonstrated that the one who would come in the likeness of Moses was far superior to Moses and indeed all other prophets, peace be upon them, i.e. that the Holy Prophet Muhammad stands superior to all other prophets. The Promised Messiah writes, Just as Jesus did not bring any new law, but came to fulfill what was in the Torah, so too has the Messiah of the dispensation of Muhammad not introduced any new law, but has come for the rejuvenation of the Qur'an, to revive the true understanding of the noble Qur'an. He has come to spread its true teaching. He has come to bring about that perfection which is known as the completion of the propagation of faith. Then he further writes about this. About the perfection of the propagation of faith, it should be borne in mind that with regard to the perfection of divine favor and the completion of faith which descended upon the Holy Prophet meaning that the religion reached its perfection and divine favor reached the highest point possible. There are two parts. First was the perfection of divine guidance, and secondly, the complete propagation of this guidance. He further states, In every respect the perfection of guidance took place during the first advent of the Holy Prophet 
All spiritual guidance reaches perfection by virtue of the Holy Prophet's advent and the arrival of the Quranic Sharia, and the perfection of the propagation of faith, i.e. the completion of the propagation of the message which was to take place, occurred with the second advent of the Holy Prophet. This is because the verse in Surah Al-Jumah which reads, وَآخَرِينَ مِنْهُمْ لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ demands that another group of people should also be prepared through his grace and guidance. From this, it becomes clear that there is another advent of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and this advent is by way of a reflection of the Holy Prophet, which is taking place in this era. Hence, this age is the age of perfection and propagation of faith. This is also why all means of communication and conveyance are also reaching their pinnacle. There is a multitude of publishing houses, countless printing presses, and with each day there are further improvements and developments in publishing and printing. There is also the use of courier and mail services and other technologies to facilitate this. The emergence of post offices, wired mail, the railroad, aeroplanes and the publication of newspapers, all of these things have combined to transform the world into a global village. These advancements are in reality the advancements of the Holy Prophet because through them the second half of the perfection of his complete guidance, i.e. the complete spreading and delivery of his message is taking place. He states, Now let a rational person connect all these points together and reflect. Is what we say worthy of being rejected after only a cursory glance? Or does it demand that one seriously and solemnly analyze and ponder over it? Whatever we claim, has it been fulfilled at precisely the turn of the century or not? Even if we had not come, even then it was necessary for every intelligent and God-fearing person that he searched for a divinely appointed one, because the turn of the century had come. And since now that twenty years are coming to pass since the turn of the century, there was an even greater need to ponder over the matter. The disorder of this age itself was lamenting and crying out that someone should come for his reformation. The Promised Messiah Islam further says, Christianity has spread such unrestrained and uncontrolled freedom as knows no bounds at all. The consequence is that having seen the children of Muslims, their appearance does not resemble being the children of Muslims at all. Commenting on the system of identifying truth and how one should ascertain the truth, the Promised Messiah Islam says, People ought to supplicate to God Almighty in their prayers that He reveal to them the truth. And I firmly believe that if a person removes himself from all bias and stubbornness and sincerely for the acquisition of truth, turns his attention towards God Almighty, then a period of forty days shall not pass that the truth will be made manifest to the supplicant. However, there are extremely few who fulfilling these conditions seek a verdict about the truth from God, and so due to their lack of understanding or their stubbornness and bias, they end up rejecting the appointee of God and thereby corrupt their faith. This is because in relation to prophethood, a prophet is like a nail, and so in rejecting the prophet, one ends up rejecting prophethood altogether, and rejecting a prophet is to reject God, and this is how one's faith is destroyed. After presenting these excerpts from the writings of the Prophet Muhammad I will present several excerpts and narrations of Hazrat Muslim which he wrote and presented on various occasions regarding this subject. At one instance he states, When opposition intensifies, the Jamaat as a natural consequence also progresses. When opposition grows, 
the miraculous and divine aid and succor of Allah likewise increases. Accordingly, in reference to the Promised Messiah Islam, as a Muslim Anhu states, Whenever any friend upon meeting the Promised Messiah would mention that great opposition has risen in their locality, the Promised Messiah would reply by saying that this is in fact a hallmark of our progress. Wheresoever there is opposition, the Jamaat experiences growth, because as a result of that opposition, many who were previously unaware of even the Jamaat's existence become aware of it and gradually become inclined towards reading the books of the Jamaat. When they convey the Jamaat's literature, its truth consequently takes a fervent hold of their hearts. As a Muslim states, An individual once came to meet the Promised Messiah and pledged allegiance. After his conversion, the Promised Messiah asked him who it was that presented him the message of Islam Ahmadiyyat. He spontaneously replied, The individual that brought this message to me was Maulvi Sunaullah Amritsari, who was a bitter opponent of the Promised Messiah. Surprised by the answer, the Promised Messiah Islam asked, How is this so? The individual replied, I regularly read the books and newspapers of Maulvi Sahib and noticed it would always be filled with content that was bitterly opposed to the Ahmadiyya community. It occurred to me one day that I should myself at least have a look at the books of this community as well. That is to get an idea of what exactly it is that the Promised Messiah Islam has written. He thus said, When I began to read the books of the Jamaat, my heart receptively opened to his teachings, and I became ready to convert. Thus, the foremost benefit of opposition is that divine communities see progress, and many souls, as a result, are guided to the right path. In regards to the opposition faced by the Promised Messiah Islam and the reaction of prophets in the face of opposition, the Promised Messiah Islam has first given the example of ancient Egyptian empire. At the apex of its political dominance, the Egyptian empire held great power and its monarchs, i.e. the pharaohs, took great pride in their strength and authority. In retrospect to this, Moses was in material strength an insignificant individual. Yet despite this, he went to the Pharaoh's throne with his message. The Pharaoh in response warned him and openly threatened that if he did not cease from propagating his message, he would not only put an end to his life, but along with him, his entire nation would be utterly destroyed. Yet Moses replied, that no earthly power can stop him from delivering the world the message he has been ordained by God to propagate. The Promised Messiah Islam stated that this was the case with Jesus and the Holy Prophet Muhammad Similar has been the case of the Promised Messiah which we have witnessed in our era. All nations stood in opposition to him to the extent that even the government in one way was his opponent as well. Albeit towards the latter part of his life, this opposition had somewhat waned. Regardless, the overwhelming majority of people had become his opponents. The followers of all faiths had declared opposition to him alongside the Muslim clerics. Custodians of shrines opposed him. The masses in general, as well as the affluent and social elite, stood as his enemies. In short, a storm of opposition raged on all sides. Many people tried their utmost to dissuade him from his mission, to the extent that some in the guise of friendship even reasoned that he should drop some of his claims. Some came and told him that if he was to simply forego such and such claim, 
the masses would readily enter into the fold of his community. But the promised Messiah did not pay any heed to their words and resolutely continued to present his claims. His enemies caused a commotion. Persecution persisted to the extent that some were even killed. But despite the plethora of hardships which continue to this day, and despite the fact that the promised Messiah faced an opposition against which he was possessed absolutely no apparent strength, nor had any means of defence, he continued to strive forward in his mission. As a Muslim elder writes, I clearly remember hearing this example from the Promised Messiah multiple times. He said that the case of prophets is similar to a story which people narrate regarding an elderly woman who had become senile and lived in a village. Whenever she left her home and went outside, young children would gather and start to tease her, mock her and constantly trouble her. She too, on turn, would retort to profanities and curse back at them. One day, the inhabitants of the village consulted with one another and decided that their children had have been unjustly teasing and mocking the old woman and she has been victimized long enough. They conferred they must stop their children from teasing her lest her cursing and praying against them in her state of helplessness should manifest an undesirable outcome. They decided to stop their children from disturbing her and as a result she would cease from cursing them. Accordingly, they decided that from the following day every household will keep all their children locked up inside their house and not let them outside. So everyone prohibited their children from leaving the house the next day and they locked their doors from the outside with chains as an added safety measure. When the sun rose and the senile lady came outside, she wandered the streets for some time. She would walk in one direction and another but could not see anyone. Her condition before this was that one boy would be pulling her shirt, another would pinch her, and some would push her, someone would pull her hand, and there would be some who would tease her. However, that day she could not see any of them. She waited for them until the afternoon. But when she observed that no one came out of their homes, eventually she went to the local shops. She would stop by at every shop and would say, Did your houses collapse today? Have all the children passed away? What has happened? I do not see any of them. When she visited every shop and said the same thing, after a while everyone said, Whether we keep the children in or not, we still have to listen to her abuse. Therefore let the children out. Why should we lock them up? After narrating this fable, he would say, In this light, the condition of the prophets is quite similar. The world troubles them, creates difficulties for them, persecutes them, and oppresses them. They torment them to the extent that it becomes difficult to live, and some people amongst them begin to feel that these people are cruel, and they should not act in this manner. However, even those people cannot renounce the world. When the world does not oppress the prophets, they worry and awaken them in order to direct the world's attention towards them, and their message is heard, irrespective of whichever angle they take on the matter. The opposition can lead to the acquisition of good people as well. He then states, Mawli Muhammad Hussain Sahib Batalvi was the Promised Messiah's childhood friend, and he knew him well. He always used to praise the Promised Messiah's essays. After the Promised Messiah's claim, he announced, 
I am the one who established him, and I am going to be the one who will ruin him now. Who could have imagined at the time that if someone as honorable and influential as Molvi Muhammad Hussain Batalvi would say something about destroying a person, and that person is not annihilated? He was indeed a person with the power to do what he would say. The relatives of the Promised Messiah also announced, some of them published a statement in the newspapers, that this person only means to procure money and no one should pay any attention to him. In this manner, they tried to make the entire world doubt him. Then he says, This happened in my early years. Many workers refused to do their household chores. These people are known as gummi in the system of land and property ownership. His servants utterly refused to work for him, and our relatives were the ones who had instigated this. In short, his relatives and those who were as strangers, everyone united to face him and tried to destroy him. But what was the outcome? Today his name is remembered in 212 countries worldwide. If this is not a sign of his truthfulness, then what is? While narrating another sign of his truthfulness, he states, God Almighty raised the Promised Messiah in our midst and his existence became a manifest sign for us. Whoever sat before him witnessed the verities of the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet and there remained nothing that would deter such a person from Islam. When a case about Karam Din Bhin was filed against the Promised Messiah, the magistrate at the time was a Hindu. The Aryas persuaded him to sentence the Promised Messiah and he promised them to do so. Khwaja Kamaluddin Sahib became worried when he heard of this. He visited the Promised Messiah in Gurdaspur, where he was staying during the trial, and stated, Hazur, I have disturbing news. The Aryas have swayed the magistrate, and he has taken an oath to sentence you. At the time the Promised Messiah was laying down, he sat up straight away and stated, Khwaja Sahib, who can place their hands on the Lion of God? I am the Lion of God. Let him try to put his hands on me. Hence, this is what transpired. This case was presented in the courts of two magistrates, one after the other. And both of them were severely punished. One of them, who wanted to take action against the promised Messiah, was suspended. The other magistrate lost his son, who drowned in a river. And this incident affected him so much that he became partially insane. Hazrat Muslim Ma'ud states, Once I was travelling to Delhi and met him, i.e. the aforementioned magistrate, at Ludhiana station. He said to me with immense humility and pain, Please pray that Allah the Almighty grants me patience. I have made tremendous mistakes and my condition is such that I fear that I may become insane. He continued, One of my sons passed away but I have another son. Please pray that may Allah the Almighty protect both of us from destruction due to our actions against the Promised Messiah. Hazrat Muslim writes, Hence the words of the Promised Messiah were fulfilled, who can lay their hands on the line of God, and the Aryas failed in their ploy. Hazrat Muslim further relates, There is an interesting incident that took place during the time of the Promised Messiah 
Mian Zamuddin was a friend of the Promised Messiah and also of Mawli Muhammaduddin Batalvi Sahib. He had performed the Hajj seven times and had a very cheerful personality. Since he had a friendly relations with the Promised Messiah and also Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi, therefore he was greatly perturbed when Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi issued an edict of kufr against the Promised Messiah upon him, claiming to have been commissioned by God Almighty. This is because he had firm conviction in the piety of the Promised Messiah. He used to live in Ludhiana, and when the opponents would speak ill against the Promised Messiah, he would argue with them and would say, Go visit the Promised Messiah and see for yourself. He is an extremely pious person. I have lived with him and have noted that if something is mentioned to him in light of the Holy Quran, he is immediately willing to accept it. He does not deceive anyone. From the Holy Quran, if someone explains that his claim is false, I am convinced that he would immediately retract his claim. He would often get into arguments with people over this and would say that he would go to Qadian himself and it would not be possible for the Promised Messiah to not take back his claim and seek repentance. He further said that he would open the Holy Quran before the Promised Messiah and as soon as he would present a verse of the Holy Quran regarding the physical ascent of Jesus into the heavens, the Promised Messiah shall straight away accept it. Moreover, he said that he knew too well that the Promised Messiah would not say anything upon hearing something from the Holy Quran. After all, one day he decided to travel from Ludhiana to Qadian. Upon arriving, he immediately went to the Promised Messiah and said, Have you left Islam and rejected the Holy Quran? The Promised Messiah Islam replied, How could that be possible? I believe in the Holy Quran and Islam is my faith. Upon this he said, All praise is due to God. This is precisely what I have been telling the people, that you could never forsake the Holy Quran. He then said, Very well, if I present hundreds of verses from the Holy Quran which prove that Jesus physically ascended into the heavens, alive, would you then accept this? The Promised Messiah replied, Even if you can present one verse, let alone hundreds, I am ready to accept it. Mir Nizam Deen said, All praise is due to God. This is what I have been arguing about with the people that it is not difficult to convince Hazrat Mirza Sahib. People have been raising a clamour for no reason whatsoever. However, he then said, Even if it's not hundreds, but just a hundred verses, even then would you accept this? The Promised Messiah again replied, I have said before that even if you present one verse, I will accept it. It is equally important to follow each and every word of the Holy Quran, just as it is imperative to follow one hundred verses of the Quran. There is no question of one verse or a hundred. Mian Zamuddin then said, All right, if not a hundred, but even if it's fifty verses, will you still remain true to your promise and abandon this belief? The Promised Messiah Islam replied, I say again that I am willing to accept this even if you present just a single verse. As the Promised Messiah continued to express his firm convictions on this issue, Mian Zamuddin began to feel a little anxious as to whether there really were that many verses of the Holy Quran on this topic. Hence he said, all right, if I present ten verses, will you still accept this? The Promised Messiah laughed upon this and said, My original statement still stands, that is, that you may present just a single verse. Mian Azamuddin then said, Very well, I shall take leave and will return in four to five days' time and will bring you the verses of the Holy Quran. In those days, Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi was in Lahore and so was Hazrat Khalipta Masih the first radiallahu anhu and they were corresponding with one another to stipulate the conditions of the debate on the subject of the death of Jesus. Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi claimed that since the Ahadith were an exegesis of the Holy Quran, 
Therefore, if something were to be proven through the Ahadith, then it would be considered as if it was from the Holy Quran itself. Hence, he claimed that the debate on the death of physical essential of Jesus should be held in light of the Ahadith. On the other hand, Hazrat Mawlwi Sahib would argue that the Holy Quran takes precedence over the Ahadith. Thus, the claim would have to be supported and proved only through the Holy Quran. They continued to discuss this issue for several days. However, in order to end this discussion and to ensure that somehow, through whatever means possible, a debate could take place with Mulvi Muhammad Hussain Batalvi, Hazrat Khalifa the I agreed to many of his conditions. Mulvi Muhammad Hussain was very happy in that he was able to get many of his conditions agreed to. In the meanwhile, Mian Azamuddin also arrived there. After having taken leave from the Prophet Messiah, he went straight there and said, You can put an end to all the debates from here on. I have just visited Mirza Sahib and he is ready to repent. Since I am your friend as well as Mirza Sahib's, therefore I was greatly aggrieved by this dispute. Since I am well acquainted with the fact that Mirza Sahib has a pious disposition, therefore I visited him and asked him to promise that if just ten verses of the Holy Quran were presented to him in relation to the physical ascent of Jesus, he will be willing to accept this. Could you therefore show me ten verses of the Holy Quran? As the Muslim Maud further continues, Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi was quick-tempered and had a fiery temperament. And so upon hearing this, he said to his friend, You wretched man, you have completely ruined all my efforts. I have spent the last two months trying to bring them towards the Ahadith, and you have gone and taken them back to the Holy Quran. Mian Azamuddin replied, Are there not even ten verses in your support? Mawli Muhammad Hussain Batalvi exclaimed, you are a foolish person. What do you know about the Holy Quran? When Mawlib Sahib said this to me and Azamuddin, he said, Very well, I will take the side of the Holy Quran. After saying this, he travelled to Qadian and took the bath at the hands of the Promised Messiah. This was the account of how he accepted Ahmadiyyat. As a Muslim who further writes, How great was the Promised Messiah's trust in the Holy Quran? that he affirmed with such strong conviction that the Holy Qur'an could not go against him. This does not mean that the Holy Qur'an had a special relationship with the Promised Messiah or that it has a special link only with the Ahmadiyya community. In fact, the Holy Qur'an illuminates the truth and so whichever sect is on the truth, it will indeed support it. Since the Promised Messiah had complete belief that he was truthful, therefore the Holy Qur'an also stood in his support. It was for this very reason that the Prophet Messiah used to say that if any claim of his were not supported by the Holy Quran, he would completely discard it. It certainly, however, does not mean that the Prophet Messiah harbored any doubt regarding his claim. Rather, he said this because he had firm conviction that the Holy Quran would certainly testify to his truthfulness. It is this very belief that has enabled us to progress in the world. And even today it is serving as a means of causing our progress and propagating the message of the Promised Messiah to the ends of the earth. Indeed, the Holy Quran supports us. The Promised Messiah states, Remember well, the promises of God are indeed true. According to his divine promise, he has sent a warner to the world, but the world accepted him not. Yet God shall accept him and will demonstrate his truthfulness with mighty assaults. I tell you truly, that I have appeared as the Messiah in accordance to the promise of God. Now, as you desire, accept me or reject me. However, your rejection will have no significance 
because that which God Almighty has willed shall surely come to pass. God Almighty has already mentioned in Brahina Ahmadiyya, Sadaqallahu wa Rasuluhu, Wakana wa'dan maf'ula. That is indeed God and His Messenger have spoken the truth, and the decree of God is bound to be carried out. I would now like to briefly mention in regard to the incident that took place in New Zealand last Friday. I wanted to speak about this last Friday, but I forgot to mention it towards the end. In any case, I issued a press release on behalf of the entire Ahmadiyya community, in which I expressed my condolence. Many innocent people, including children, were martyred as a result of religious and ethnic hatred. May God Almighty have mercy on them all and grant patience to the bereaved. One benefit of not mentioning this at the time was that many aspects came to light after. The most excellent and moral way New Zealand's government and particularly its Prime Minister has responded to this attack and also in fulfilling their duties as a government has been exemplary and is most praiseworthy. It has been a reaction of the highest order, and I pray that Muslim nations learn from this model of morality and each play their role towards eradicating all forms of religious hatred. The public has also offered its full support. I have heard that the radio and television stations announced that they would play the Muslim call to prayer at the time of the Friday prayer today to show solidarity with Muslims. Further, many non-Muslim women, including Christians, declared that they would wear headscarves as a gesture of support and empathy. May God Almighty accept their pious actions, and may He also enable them to accept the truth. Brutal killer. However, a lady whose husband and 21-year-old son fell victim to this attack and died whilst helping others, was being interviewed on TV. And she displayed extraordinary patience and courage. Nevertheless, they gave their lives for pious and noble cause. May Allah shower His mercy on them. This was a truly sad and tragic incident. The Muslims of New Zealand have shown great patience and resolve. This is how a Muslim is expected to behave and react. However, some extremist organizations have vowed to take revenge for this attack, even though this would be an utterly inappropriate act and will only lead to enmities growing further. May God Almighty ensure that the extremist organizations that exist within Islam are eradicated so that the true and beautiful teachings of Islam can spread throughout the world. May Allah enable the majority of the Muslims. In fact, may He enable all of them to accept the Imam of the age. So that through this unity, we can spread the true and beautiful teachings of Islam in the world. Aside from this, after the prayers, I will lead a few funeral prayers in absentia. The first funeral is of Mulana Khurshid Ahmad Anwar Sahib, who was the Vakilul Maal of Tarhika Jadid and Qadian. 
He passed away on 19th of March at the age of 73. To Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. By the grace of Allah, He was a Musi. He was suffering from cancer for a long period of time. However, He bore this illness with great patience, courage and resolve. Despite being severely ill and weak, he was never negligent towards fulfilling his official duties. He would regularly go to the office and until his last breath, he fulfilled his work to the best of his abilities. In fact, I believe that he fulfilled his devotion in a manner it ought to be fulfilled. The deceased was the son of Abdul Azim Sahib, a dervish of Qadian and Raisa Begum Sahiba and was from Pindi Bhatia. The deceased's father was the first person to accept Ahmadiyyat in his family. After performing the bait, the deceased's grandfather began to oppose his father severely and would even beat him. Afterwards, his father then migrated to Guardian and settled there. The deceased grew up in Guardian and had the opportunity to be in the company of prominent companions and the dervish of Guardian. He completed his matriculation examination from Talim Islam School, Guardian, and then joined Madrasa Ahmadiyya. In 1967, he passed the Molvi Fazl exam from Madrasa Ahmadiyya, Guardian, after which he was appointed as a teacher in Madrasa Ahmadiyya. In 1982, he was appointed as the manager of Al-Badr and he also served as the editor for a while. In 1989, he served as Nazim Irshad of Furwak Fajadid Qadian. He also had the opportunity to serve as Nazim Irshad Sadr Majlis Qudam Ahmadiyya of India and Naib Nazir Betul Mal Ahmad. In 2006, he was appointed as Vakil Mal of Tehrik Jadid and until his demise, he served in this capacity with due diligence. Similarly, he was a member and also president of several important central committees. He was a very competent administrator and would complete his work with full sincerity and devotion. He played a vital role in securing India's position in Tehrik Jadid Chanda. Previously, it was quite behind in terms of total sacrifice, but by the grace of Allah, he helped improve them significantly. He was mindful of Jamaat's money and would spend with due care. He was a learned individual and wrote excellent articles. He had the opportunity of carrying out editorial work for the Badr newspaper for many years. His editorials were full of religious knowledge and included the eloquence and articulation of the Urdu language. Approximately 40 years ago, when he was in the prime of his youth, there used to be a competition on the life and character of the Holy Prophet ﷺ held by the tamir millat organization in Hyderabad, Dakkan. He once took part in this competition and won first prize. The deceased possessed many qualities. His approachability, hospitality and tireless effort are among his prominent characteristics. Prior to the Jalsa Salana, he would prepare for the arrival of guests with great enthusiasm. Despite having limited resources, he would make excellent arrangements for the guests. He was an influential personality. He would look after the poor 
and showed complete obedience to his superiors. He had a deep bond with Khilafat. His services span over almost 52 years. He was blessed with four daughters and one son. His son resides here. One of his daughters lives in USA and another in Qadian. His son-in-law Khalid Ahmed Aladin Sahib writes, During his illness, whenever I would advise him to rest, he would always reply that it was his desire to serve until his last breath and to meet God Almighty in this manner. Indeed, he fulfilled his pledge. The Naib Southern Majlis Tehrika Jadid writes, I knew him from the time we were both students and had the opportunity to work with him on a number of occasions. When the deceased was appointed as Naib Nazir Baitul Mal Ahmed, he worked with me for a long period of time with full cooperation. He was very obedient, hard-working and honest. He had deep knowledge of financial matters. When he was made Vakilul Mal, he was responsible for the budget of Tehrika Jadid. At the time of his appointment, it was a few hundred thousand, but through the blessings of Allah, that figure increased to tens of millions. May God Almighty elevate the status of the deceased and enable his children to continue his virtuous endeavors. The second funeral is of Dair Hussein Munshi Sahib, who was the Naib Amir of Fiji Jamaat. He passed away on 5th of March at the age of 72. To Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was a long-standing servant of the Fiji Jamaat and had the opportunity to serve as Naib Amir for a long period of time. He was a pious individual, sincere and very loyal. By the grace of Allah he was a Musi and gave his sajjaidad during his lifetime. He is survived by one son and one daughter. Both of his children are not Ahmadis. By the grace of Allah, Tahir Sahib had the opportunity to serve in Fiji's education sector. He served as principal of a college in the Ministry of Education, as principal of a secondary school and also as an education officer. After being promoted, he served as deputy director of education and in 1999 he retired from his position. After this, the government re-employed him as a member for the Public Accounts Committee and he served in this capacity for a short while until he resigned due to ill health. Regarding his acceptance of Ahmadiyyat, Hamid Hussain Sahib, the president of Nasr Banga Jamaat says, Munshi Sahib's first assignment was in Nasr Banga Primary School in 1968. At the time, I was the secretary of the school. Through this, we became friends and would spend a lot of time together. Despite the fact that he was opposed to the Jamaat, he would listen to the arguments of the Jamaat and also discourse on different points. Munshi Sahib was from a Sunni background. Whenever he would invite his Maulvi to debate with Ahmadis, the Maulvi would refuse. This would upset Munshi Sahib greatly. Afterwards, God Almighty enabled him to accept the Imam of the age. With regards to how Munshi Sahib repaid him for this blessing, Hamid Hussain Sahib says, On one occasion, Munshi Sahib returned home after spending time in Qadian. 
He told me that he had offered special prayers for me in Bayt al-Dua because it was through me that God Almighty enabled him to reach his current state, i.e. God Almighty enabled him to accept Ahmadiyyat through Hamid Sahib. When he was in Bayt al-Dua, he prayed to God Almighty that Hamid Sahib conferred a great favor upon him that he was able to accept Ahmadiyyat. Only an Ahmadi can pray for the person they are indebted to in such a manner. Hazrat Khalid Masih the fourth Rahimahullah appointed him as Naib Amir of Fiji. Naim Iqbal Sahib, who is a missionary, writes, He was very loyal, especially towards Khilafat. He would encourage others to respect and show obedience to Khilafat, and this is something he would demonstrate through his own example. If he was opposed to something, the minute he learnt that Hazrat Khalid al-Masih held that opinion, he would immediately change his opinion. The third funeral is of Musa Sisko Sahib of Mali. He passed away on 15th of February. To Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was a brigade commander in the army. He learnt of the Ahmadiyya community through a magazine, after which he remained in close contact with the missionary of Waskaso region. He accepted Ahmadiyyat in November 2012. In 2013, during the launch of Waskaso Jamaat radio station, he had the opportunity to serve as the director for the radio station, and he was also appointed as the Sadr of Jamaat. After the radio station was established in the Waskaso region, the Jamaat was faced with extraordinary opposition. At that time, Musa Sahib showed great wisdom and dealt with the matter with patience and steadfastness. He contacted the relevant authorities and introduced the Jamaat to them. Since 2016, he served in the National Amla as the Amur Kharja Secretary. After performing the Bayt, he dedicated his life for the service of the Jamaat. Aside from offering his obligatory prayers, he was regular in offering the Tahajjid prayers. He was a very sincere and loyal individual. He had a unique bond with Khilafat and would try to be the first person to respond to any initiative launched by the Khalifa. He is survived by two wives, ten daughters and five sons. May Allah the Almighty elevate the status of all the deceased and enable their children to continue their virtuous deeds. Munshi Sahib's children are not Ahmadi. May Allah the Almighty enable them to accept the Imam of the age. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Nahmadu, Wanastainu, Wanastafiru, Wanominu, Wanatawakalu, Wanauzu, Billah, Mishurian, Fusena, Women say, من يعده الله فلا مضل له فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد الله إله إلا الله ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Ibad Allah, Rahimakum Allah, Inna Allah, Yamur, Biladli, Walli, Sani, 